Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 53 called Liz. So guys, on this episode, I am proud to partner with the Oh Hell No podcast, which was created by Kay Nicole, a woman I met at PodFest in Orlando. She and I were in the same speaker group and I loved her immediately. And we went out for happy hour that night and the rest is history. She's amazing. And so is her show which is a podcast for young people transitioning into adult life or adults who are already there and are looking for some motivation in getting to their next level. On the show, she interviews everyday people sharing their real life experiences about finding their passions and living more purpose-driven lives and helping people along the way. So to subscribe to this podcast, click the link in my link tree or download wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks so much. So before we start with Liz's story, I just want to send some extra love out to this entire community. I know so many of you are going through super hard times right now with cycles being canceled and postponed and just so much heartbreak. And I hope you guys are all hanging in there. I'm here for you. You can always email me at infertileafstories at gmail and I will get back to you as soon as I can. If you just want to vent or tell me what's going on with you. I so appreciate this community and how we all lift each other up. So in this insane time when everything feels backwards and upside down, I just want you to know that I am here and I see you and I feel for you. I also want to say that this episode was recorded before all this coronavirus madness was on full tilt. So it's before everybody was quarantined and not really able to travel. So just wanted to mention that because there's a part where she talks about going to see her surrogate in California and you're probably like, what? How is she traveling right now? So this was recorded before all of that. Okay. So back to Liz. So Dr. Elizabeth Kane is the chief scientific officer at Natalist, where she heads up product development and research and development. So she helps develop new products and educational content that serve people when they're trying to conceive. So if you haven't checked out Natalist, natalist natalist.com, they have a lot of products from pregnancy tests to ovulation kits to vitamins and more. There's also tons of information. It's a female founded company of doctors and scientists and moms. So, you know, I love all of that and I'm sure you guys do too. So today Liz is going to tell us the story of her very complicated first pregnancy, and then going through infertility to have her second. So without further ado, this is Liz's infertility story. Liz, how are you today? Hi, Ellie. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for doing this. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about how you went through infertility and then you ended up co-founding Natalist, which is an awesome company that's helping in the infertility and fertility space. So we'll get into all that, but let's just start at the beginning for you. So where did you grow up and did you always want to have children? Yeah. So I grew up right outside of New York City and I don't think I really knew that I always wanted to have kids. I actually was kind of on the fence even when I was in my mid-20s. And then I got married at 
27. I had to like do the math in my head there for a second. And we were married for a couple years and then we decided to start trying. And I got pregnant actually fairly easily and quickly with my first Hazel. It took us about three months. And then we actually had a bunch of complications when I was pregnant. And I can go into that a little later. But um, sure. that, that process was relatively smooth. And then the second one is another story, which we should get into. Yes. Um, but the, that really was like the, the decision to have kids was kind of like a difficult one because I was really invested in my career at the time. Uh-huh. And I had to decide, like, do I put my career a little bit on pause and have a family, which is I'm sure something that like most women go through the struggle of like, can you have it all? Yes. And it was, it was really hard. And I ultimately decided that I wanted to have kids and I didn't want to, you know, compromise on my dreams of having a family. And, you know, I figured I would take a step back from my career. And I was an academic at the time. I ran a research lab at Harvard. And I've um, heard of Harvard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty good yeah, school. It's a little school. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, but, you know, academia is still really not very friendly to the needs and desires of professors, especially women. It's, I think it's, you know, a lot harder on women to decide to want to have a family. And especially if you have any sort of complications during pregnancy and need to take time off, it's really hard if you're running a research laboratory because you physically have to be in the laboratory really to mm-hmm. be managing people um, in the lab. They're running experiments at the bench. And if you're not at the bench to help them, you know, it's, it's hard. I had to really make that decision. And I, I, it was absolutely the right decision. But at the time, it was a really overwhelming decision. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because we, we actually don't talk about that super often on the podcast. But I mean, I am curious about what you said of, you know, having to leave work or kind of make a decision between the two. Tell me a little bit more about that. So if you had left or you decided to, do you kind of lose all the traction that you had kind of gotten up until that point? Like, is it, and then you kind of have to start, you know, back a few steps yeah. backwards if you come back into it? Cause yeah, it was interesting. I remember at the time I spoke to one of my academic mentors and I went and talked to her and I said like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Can I come back if I decide to take some time off to have a family? And she was basically like very diplomatically said, no, <laughs> like wow. she was like, this is a one way door. You know, if you decide to take time off and, you know, and walk out, you don't really get to, to come back. Wow. And I think, you know, maybe times have changed, you know, it's been, six years since I made that decision. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for me, that was definitely true. It's, it's really hard in academia if you decide and you're on like a professor track that mm-hmm. you want to leave. And this was the case for me and maybe for other people, it's different, but it, I couldn't really go back to the, the place where I was in my career. Mm-hmm. You can come back to a different spot. Um, you can want to be you know, a junior professor, you can come back to be an adjunct professor, you can come back to be, you know, a different position, but the place that I was, I couldn't go back to it. That was a, you know, a step that I could never come back. Wow. So was it ultimately a really difficult decision to make? Yeah, it was super hard. I, I was, I really like deliberated over it. 
Um, I was really stressed for that entire year, I think, mm-hmm. when I was going through that decision. And, and because I have some health complications, I knew that I was going to need to take some time off. I have, I have really severe chronic migraines. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was going to have to come off one of my migraine medications to actually try to conceive because it wasn't safe during pregnancy. And mm-hmm. I knew my migraines were going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be able to work when I was pregnant because mm-hmm. of my migraines. And so not only was it me just saying like, hey, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to be pregnant, but also I'm not going to be able to work while I'm pregnant. So I knew I was going to have to take time off. And that was a really difficult decision. And also just to say like, hey, I'm going to feel really sick for, you know, at least 10 months plus the time that I was going to try to conceive. So Mm -hmm. that was also a very overwhelming decision to make. Um, Right. So this was the decision with your first kid before you even had like the infertility stuff. Okay. Yeah. Just with my first kid. So even just trying to get pregnant the first, like the decision to get pregnant the first time around was, was a complicated one and involved lots of doctors, you know, like going to my neurologist to wean off medication, going to my OBGYN, Mm -hmm. just coordinating care between the both of them and planning. So okay. I I remember feeling like, hey, the, talking to my friends, we're just like, hey, we just like, you know, randomly decided we're going to have sex one night and we got pregnant. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been planning to get pregnant with my first kid for like six months. Right. It had to be yeah. such a calculated decision for you. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. So yeah, it was very calculated. So what happened once you finally did get pregnant? It was pretty rough. So I ended up having really severe morning sickness and my headaches got very severe. My migraines got pretty severe because I was off one of my medications that I take to prevent them. Mm -hmm. After that, I ended up, you know, being moderately okay in the second trimester. And then in the third trimester, I ended up getting cholestasis, which Mm -hmm. is one of these rare complications where you don't, I think the way it is, is you should ask an OBGYN to be completely accurate, but you have the buildup of bile acids that can't be properly metabolized. And mm-hmm. so it's one of these conditions where it's associated with a higher risk of stillbirth mm-hmm. after 36 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's also just really uncomfortable. So like one of the hallmarks of this is that you're incredibly itchy on your hands and feet. And it's just like, it's a weird thing that you normally don't think of. Yes. Um, that sounds so terrible. It was really, yeah. So um, about like 32 weeks, I was just like incredibly, incredibly itchy, like mm-hmm. to the point where you like, you wakes you up at night, you know, you can't go to sleep. It's kind of, it's just really torturous. Um, mm-hmm. And you're just also so nervous because you're like, oh my God, this is dangerous for your child. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to get induced at right at 36 weeks because that's like the standard of care for people with cholestasis. Mm-hmm. And my labor, my induction didn't go very smoothly. Mm-hmm. So I ended up actually getting a uterine infection during labor. And, and luckily, Hazel, my daughter, was fine. But we both, um, I ended up having a very high fever. And I actually had a, a complex migraine in labor. So they were worried about me neurologically, if I was going mm-hmm. to be okay, it was very painful. Mm-hmm. And then I actually ended up having a postpartum hemorrhage three weeks later. So I had to go back in for emergency surgery. Wow. So what does that so, entail? 
So um, postpartum hemorrhage is when you just start hemorrhaging, usually from retained placenta that you don't pass during labor. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened. I didn't like pass all my placenta. And it's more common if you have to deliver early or you have a uterine infection, which I had both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to have a, a DNC. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. After birth. Weeks. Yeah, exactly. I've so never they, heard of a DNC except for yeah, with a for, miscarriage. Yeah. So I actually had to have one three weeks after and it was pretty scary. I was at home just like three weeks after with a newborn and yeah. I just started like hemorrhaging uncontrollably. And so oh I had God. to like call my husband, be like, we need to go to the hospital. This is terrifying. And so I had to have an emergency DNC. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I was like, note to self, like my body does not do well with pregnancy. Right. Not a good situation for me. Right. Um, yeah. So it was pretty hard on, on me. So Luckily, like Hazel was actually totally fine. I got all the brunt of like the damage. She was completely okay, which mm-hmm. was, you know, my biggest concern. Yeah. She was, she was completely fine. So then after you had Hazel, how long before you guys started to try again? It was a while. I wasn't like emotionally ready because mm-hmm. of how difficult my pregnancy and, and labor was. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't try again until Hazel was a little over three. And then we started trying again and things did not go as planned. Okay. What happened? Um, you know, I, I just got pregnant really easily with Hazel and I thought it would be easy the second time around. So Right. And how old were um, you when you had Hazel? I was 30. Okay. Yeah. So I was 33, um, no, 34 the second time I tried to get pregnant again. Okay. And I, uh, you know, I had to do the same thing, like come off my migraine medication. So my headaches also got bad again. And so we tried to conceive and I eventually did get pregnant after trying for a while, but I miscarried. Mm, um, How far along were you? I was very early. It was six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually like very much in denial when I miscarried. I, you know, I, I was, um, the first time when it happened, I like called my doctor and they were like, Oh, I'm having, you're having bleeding. And I, and I was like, okay, I think, you know, the clinician, like the scientist in me, the part of me that like treats everything very analytically was like, okay, I'm miscarrying. Like, I know this is going to go, it's going to be fine. Like it hadn't really like hit me yet. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the doctor, they like did the ultrasound. They saw the collapsed, um, like sack. And I was like, okay, like, I know how this is going. And then like, I had plans that night to go out to, to dinner with my friends. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm just going to go. Like, mm-hmm. and I went and I was like, okay, now I can like have a cocktail. Yeah. So I was just like still so in denial. Right. And so I That's just like, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It just like hadn't hit me yet. And I just like went out and had a cocktail. And my friends were all like, aren't you pregnant? Like what's going on? Uh-huh. And I was like, I had a miscarriage. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to have my cocktail and then I'm going to go home. Yeah. And and I just like, it didn't hit me until like a couple of days later, mm-hmm. you know, I just like wasn't prepared to process it emotionally. Right. And um, then when it did hit, what, how did it hit? What happened? Yeah. I was just like, it really was just like, I think it didn't hit me until I passed the sack, which if anyone's had a miscarriage, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty gruesome thing. Yeah. And I just like was really broken down. Like it was like, it was just really depressing. Um, it took like, you know, it was a couple of days of me just feeling really depressed and feeling like I had tried really long, mm-hmm. a long time for this thing. Also just like the added 
difficulty of me feeling like I was off my migraine medications and my body was really just like out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, my migraines were difficult. I had a hard time getting pregnant. It was just both of those things on top of it were really hard for me. And just like knowing that I don't have control over this process and being upset. And then also just trying to like let that go at the same time. So after that, given that like my migraines were really difficult, we decided to do IVF. Mm -hmm. So after, once I like got through that process, I was like, okay, I have a path forward. I'm going to do IVF. Okay. And I can go back on my medication to do IVF and then I'm going to be okay. Okay. So how were you able to go back on your medication to do IVF? Because it was more monitored or like what was... Yeah. So we decided at that point we were just going to freeze embryos. Mm -hmm. So to freeze embryos, you actually don't need... It doesn't matter if you're on migraine medication. I actually don't need to have... um, if Only if you're going to actually like carry a pregnancy. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. Like I just want to freeze embryos Mm -hmm. and I just want to go back on my meds and like then worry about this later. So Mm -hmm. then I felt like I have a path forward not ready for this. Like my body was just, I just felt like my body had betrayed me and I wasn't ready for this process, which I think is probably what like a lot of women go through. Yes. The body betrayal Um, thing I think is super common. I felt that way too. Yeah. Um, And it's like someone, my doctor at one point, I've said this before, but said, you know, actually your body is doing the right thing by getting rid of unhealthy pregnancies. So try not to like be mad at your body because it is doing the right thing, but it's so, it's so hard to grapple with both sides of it because you're like, Totally. You and like I, you're failing to a certain Exactly. Degree. And I felt like, it, it, you know, I wasn't really mad so much at like my body for losing a pregnancy. Uh, Cause I, I also agree that like, yes, it was genetically abnormal. That was a, you know, it's not healthy to carry. I don't want a pregnancy that wasn't going to be viable anyway. Right. Like the scientists in me thinking about that, but also it's really disappointing and I was feeling so sick. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not ready to like go through this process again. Right. So you had know? you gone back to work after you had Hazel? I did. No? Yeah. So okay. I started Natalist with Hallie right after I had this miscarriage actually. Okay. Okay. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I'd love to continue on with what happened. Yeah. So you did that, you started IVF and then what? Yeah. So we did IVF. IVF actually, you know, was, was not fun. I'm sure like everyone who's done IVF will probably agree with that. It's not um, fun. I would never no. use that adjective. No, it's not yeah, fun. It's not fun. But what is, I do feel like what was gratifying about IVF is it was like, it was a very precise process. It was like, go in, like, as opposed to being in the phase where you're just, at least for me, I felt like I have a plan. Like every day I do a thing. And then at the end of it, since IVF, IVF actually worked and gave me frozen embryos at the end, I'm like, I have these things. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that, you know, they're, they're embryos, they're genetically tested. Like, I know they're okay, as opposed right. to being in this like uncontrolled state where I didn't know what was happening. Yes. So I feel like that. unknown is so hard. Yeah. Exactly. So I felt for me, I felt like, hey, like I have this like A, B, C, D, like one by one process I'm going to get through. And then at the end of it, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But I know for so many women, IVF isn't that for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just go through it over and over again and it doesn't give them anything. And so I can understand how IVF is also just like a money pit that gives them yeah. nothing. So right. I, it's just such an individualistic experience. Luckily for me, that wasn't the case. Yeah. But, you know, it's, 
everyone's different and where they are in this process. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different factors from your doctor to your body to what's going on health complication wise to your partner. You know, there's so many factors. Every story is so different. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, it worked for someone else probably, you know, probably not. Yeah. So you guys tell me about the, the process. So I did, we did, you know, the, the two week, I actually couldn't take, I know most women start IVF with birth control, which sounds, I always thought it was like very ironic. It's so I counterintuitive. Actually, I know. Yeah. I actually had to skip that because of my migraines. I can't take birth control. So I, mm-hmm. I got to skip that part of it. But then I started with, I think it was, what's this called? An estrogen inhibitor. Mm-hmm. But, so I did that. And so it's like five days of pills. And then after the pills, you move to the shots. And then the shots reminded, I started getting really nauseous, which reminded me most of what morning sickness was like when I was pregnant. And then, you know, you move to like the getting very swollen phase and really like, you know, just bloated and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we did the retrieval and I ended up getting, I think it was 21 eggs. And then from the 21 eggs, I think 15 of them fertilized. Mm -hmm. From the 15 that fertilized, six of them grew to day five blastocysts, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the point at which you could implant. And then we actually did genetic testing on them. And the the six of the six, only three of them were genetically normal. Okay. Um, How did you feel about that? And I felt like I only wanted to have one more kid. So as long as I got at least one of them, Mm-hmm. I was happy. Mm-hmm. So I was really grateful that I got three. Okay. Um, and I, the scientist in me. Like, I was just going to say, was the scientist in you? I was just going to use those exact words. Yeah, was the scientist yeah. in you? Go ahead. Because you're probably going to yeah. say what I was going to ask. Yeah. So I looked at the stats and what is like the, they're, and they're all graded, right? So you can look up what the embryo grading is for a particular embryo. And I knew my embryos were graded from six, I would five AA and six AA. So mm-hmm. There's a relationship between the embryo grading and the likelihood of, of viability if you implant. Right. And for and that's true for everyone. And then if, even if you you are my embryos were graded really highly. So I was like, this is great. Like I got three highly graded embryos. And then if you genetically test them, it's actually even more likely that they'll they'll be viable if you do an implant. So I was like, even better, like I got three. And then I was like, okay, I feel like I'm in a good place. I have three mm-hmm. of them. Like one, of, like the odds are that one of these will work and right. hopefully I won't have to do this again. Can I interject and just say, in terms of the grading, just to put this out there, yeah. you know, every lab is different, right? I had, it sounds like I had the same kind of situation that you did because I had six AA and that same yeah. kind of rating, but I've talked to other people who've had different ratings. So just if anyone's listening every lab's different. So don't compare your ratings to others, right? Just so that people listening might be like, oh my God, I had a QR. Like, what does that mean? You know? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the lab. Weird. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So ours were, that's how ours were created. Okay. But yeah, definitely ask your, your like your REI or the embryologist there. Right. And they'll give you like little pictures, which was also really cool. Yeah. Okay. So um, then did you have to wait to do a transfer or did, was it fresh, frozen? How did you guys? Yeah. So we, we ultimately decided at the end of the day, this was like also a really difficult journey for me. So after we did the, we, we froze the embryos 
And then I was like, I'm not ready to do a transfer. Like I'm not in a place mentally where I feel like I can actually carry a pregnancy given my migraines and how difficult it was for me. And just as someone with a chronic illness, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to say, hey, am I in a place where I feel like I'm healthy enough to carry a pregnancy given all of the medication that I'm currently on for my migraines, right? right? And you also have to decide, okay, and I had all this previous complications when I was pregnant, right? Like I had cholestasis, I had uterine infection when I was in labor, then I had a postpartum hemorrhage. And on top of that, I had to deal with medication for migraine management. Wow. So... Yeah. So I had a lot of medical issues going on. Just a couple of things going on. Exactly. And I was, I just wasn't ready at that time, given that I had then struggled for a long time to try and get pregnant. And then then I had a miscarriage and I just wasn't in a good place. So I was like, we're going to freeze our embryos. I'm going to come back to this when I'm in a good place mentally. And I feel like I can take this on. Because, you know, I was signing up for weaning off migraine medication, having potentially, you know, 10 months of headaches and, you know, looking at this list of complications again when it was time to deliver. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I like talked it over for a long time and we ultimately decided that it would be best if we decided to pursue surrogacy for our second child. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's what we did. So we have a wonderful, wonderful surrogate. Her name is Danielle. Mm-hmm. And we are expecting actually our second child now. We have a second child that's going to be a girl, which is luckily what you get to find out when you do PGS tests, right. the pre-implantation genetic screening. They'll tell you if you're going to have a boy or a girl. Yes. Even before you implant your embryo, which is crazy. So yeah, we knew we were going to have a girl, and um, she we um, we had a transfer back, you know, five or six months ago at this point. And so we're due in May of this year and we're really excited to have our second child. That's so wonderful. So tell me, let's back up just a little bit. Tell me about the surrogacy process for you. How did you find the woman that you ultimately ended up with? Yeah. So we use an agency and we, we love our agency. They're called Building Families and they, you know, they helped us find Danielle. So Danielle's in California. Okay. So tell me about the logistics of that? Yeah. So we picked building families and they only have surrogates in California because they're local in California. And the legality of surrogacy, as you know, is state by state regulated. So in California, you can obtain something called a pre-birth order, Mm -hmm. which means that the parent names, the intended parent names, so my name and my husband's name will go on the birth certificate after the baby's born. Right. And there's only a few states in the U.S. where that can happen. Mm -hmm. So it depends on if you want that to happen. If you don't want that to happen, sometimes, I I forget what states this is, but in other states, you will have to like essentially file for an adoption after your child is born, something kind of like an adoption. Right. It gets really complicated. Yeah. And I'm not an expert on this. Like what I just said could have been wrong. You should definitely talk to someone who like specializes in family law. But um, we, when we spoke to friends of ours who have also gone the surrogacy route, they recommended that we find an agency who was who in one of these states where you can get this pre-birth order. Right. Um, okay. That makes sense. So that, that was why we chose to go to California. Right. And yeah. so you said the baby's due in May? Yeah. Okay. So how has it been? And have you been able to like, she's in California still, right? So have you been mm-hmm. able to 
like FaceTime appointments or go out there? Or like what's yeah, your we involvement? Have. Yeah, we've done both. So Danielle's been awesome. She like FaceTimes and us for every every appointment. That's you know a big one. We flew out to California for the the twenty week anatomy scans. So we could be there, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And like it's, I was seeing just between when I was pregnant with Hazel and the second baby, like ultrasounds have gotten so much better. Like mm-hmm. we got to see so much more detail. And I got to see when I was pregnant with Hazel. Isn't it crazy um, how every year, like, I feel like when I was pregnant with my now 10 year old, it was like a pencil sketch. Like they would like put a piece of yeah, paper and like drew on yeah. a sketch. Like I know. Like my mom, my quill mom and me, ink. Totally. Like my mom showed me her ultrasound of me. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. This looks like a TV static. Like there's no yes. baby here. Yeah. So I don't even know just, if they had ultrasounds when I was, I was born in 1974. Did they even have them? I don't. I have no idea. It's I know so my mom crazy. smoked cigarettes while she was pregnant with me, so that has changed. Yeah, it's it's changed a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. mom, I it's, love you though. Yeah, um, <laughs> you, you turned out okay. It's yeah, all good. I turned out okay. Yeah. So, t- all right. So, tell me about that's so exciting. First of all, yeah. that this is happening, and congratulations! And thank you. I'm such a fan of surrogates, and I just think it's the greatest gift that you know yeah. women can give. So we we do too. I mean, Danielle is an angel to us. Yeah, we just like love her so, so much. And she's going to be so precious to us for, you know, for the rest of our lives. Right. Absolutely. Everybody says they've become family members. So that's one of the misconceptions, you know, the people that don't want to legalize surrogacy in New York, they're, you know, people that I met with in Albany were like, well, there's always the question of like, who's the parent? And we were like, no, that's not the question. It's never the question. The surrogate knows they don't want to be the parent. They're not the parent, you know, so there's this antiquated notion behind it. Yeah, but, we've um, never, never, ever has that even been an issue. Right. I mean, Danielle is, you know, wonderful. She knows exactly, exactly. you know, what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about Natalist. So you started yeah. this business and you can tell me in your own words what it is because so, you'll, you'll say it better than me. Yeah. So Natalist is a woman-led company that seeks to provide products and resources for families trying to conceive. Yeah. Um, I love female founded companies. Yeah, we do too. And you know, it really was born out of Hallie and mine and and our third co-founder, Dr. Nas, our struggles and our own experiences trying to have our own, you know, our own children. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went through this process and we just, you know, we're really left uninspired with the products and, and education that was out there. And we mm-hmm. really wanted to change it for the better. Mm-hmm. So how did it all begin? It began, you know, Hallie really recruited all of us together. I mean, Hallie was the, the main force and, and she was like, we're going to do this. And we're like, okay, sign us up. And we started, Hallie started a fundraise. Then we decided we would you know, be based in Charleston. And shortly after that, we just started, you know, getting to the drawing board and we're like, what are the first things we're going to make? You know, what's going to our website's going to be? And we were like, we need to make pregnancy tests, ovulation tests, prenatal vitamins. Mm-hmm. We need to write a book about what it's like to try to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, and we need to you know, make them easily available to the consumer online because that's mm-hmm. where everyone wants to buy these products. Exactly. I, mean, I buy everything online. Same. Amazon is my best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the beginning. And it so- took us about a year to get there. Okay. And so what were you, what do you offer that's different? Like pregnant, like take a pregnancy test, for example, what are you doing that's, that is different? Yeah. So what was a really important differentiator for us is that 
we wanted our pregnancy test to be incredibly easy to use, easy to read, and come with directions and packaging that don't feel like they were designed in the 1980s. <laughs> um, and so we tried to revamp the entire usability and the whole experience for the cus- for the customer. Mm-hmm. And um, we really feel like it just it's a totally different experience. The tests are clean and sleek. The you know the instructions have very clear. They're not full of medical jargon. They're mm-hmm. written to you like it's from your best friend. If your best friend was a doctor. Right. Dare know, I just, say they're they're kind of chic too. They're like a chic pregnancy test. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we want them to feel like they could be at home in your beautiful bathroom. Right. Um, on your shelf looking, you know, just as cute as like a beautiful candle. Right. So that's really where we wanted it to feel different. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, pregnancy tests, ovulation tests, these are all FDA regulated products. So they're just as effective as every, uh, just as accurate as everything else on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're all fairly standardized in that way. So we want to make sure that, you know, you don't ever compromise on accuracy, that what we're really giving you is a better experience right. and, you know, they're more beautiful. Right. And so what about a price point? Did you guys, I'm sure you considered that and you want yes, to make it better definitely. for women as well. I've spent, yeah. oh my God, so much money on pregnancy tests when I was trying. It was... You're just hemorrhaging know. for lack of, sorry, bad word, but no, no, it's totally just, fine. you know, the money yeah. is insane. I know. I always joke that like, I've never peed on so much money in my life. But <laughs> Seriously, I might as well have been peeing on $20 bills. Totally. Exactly. That was really important to us too. And we, the other thing we felt, at least this was my, the case, when it was when I was pregnant, trying to get pregnant, this was how I felt is like, you just you need more tests than come in a box. Like you buy a pack of one or two and you like, you want to test every day. Like you're like, how close can I get to when I can actually test? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like you can test five days before your period and you're like, when exactly am I going to get my period? Like you don't really always know down to the precise right. day. Right. So we wanted to give women more tests per box and mm-hmm. bring the price point down. Right. And so we, we did, we, we did do that. So in our, we're actually going to be in Target in April what? in a select number of stores. Yeah, really That's exciting. huge. I know. And so you're going to get, um, right now, you know, we have three tests in a box. In Target, you'll be able to get four tests in a box. Mm-hmm. And you can get, you know, you can pee on four tests. You know, you can, you, so you're not exactly sure like when your period's coming. That's fine. You have four tests. You'll figure right. it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, that's really important. And per test, we're cheaper than everyone else on the right. shelf. Yeah. Okay. And I love also you have this get pregnant bundle, which is the pregnancy test, ovulation test, prenatal multivitamins, and omega DHA. So it's like all packed in together. And I feel like you're just really tapping into something that hasn't been done. It has been great. We are growing rapidly. It's a really mm-hmm. fun time for us. We're just trying to meet our customers wherever they, they mm-hmm. are. If you want to buy us online... You can find us online if you're in a store. You know, we've all had that moment where like, oh my, oh my God, I need to test right now. Mm-hmm. So you can go find us in a store, you know. Awesome. So we want to be wherever you want to find us. Okay, awesome. And you'll keep us posted on the babe. Yes, I would be happy to. Hey again, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Liz. And Liz... Thank you so much for not only sharing your story, 
but for creating Natalist, which is an amazing company. You guys are doing great things. So I hope you all are able to check it out. So I also wanted to say again that I really feel for everybody who's going through a rough time right now. We all are struggling in different ways. So let's just remember to be kind and lift each other up. And if you guys are bored and you need a project, you can always go over to the InfertileF podcast page and give it a little review, which I would really appreciate if you haven't done that yet and a rating. Anyway, thank you so much. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thank you.